Welcome back once again, Coyote class, to another chapter of the secret journey of the Silver Reindeer. In the last chapter, we heard the story about how the old peddler came and visited Ashlack and his siblings at their camp. It sounds like Ashlack's uncle is not a very true, kind, or trustworthy man. The last we heard at the end of chapter 6 was when Ashlack and his herd of silver reindeer and his siblings all crossed the rushing river. Thank goodness they made it safely to the other side. I don't know how many of you, boys and girls, have ever crossed a cold rushing river in the height of spring, but it can truly be a dangerous thing. I was happy to have read that all of his siblings and most of the herd had crossed safely and that they had spent a night sleeping. I do hope that they reach the Eagle's Head soon, up in the mountain passes. Well, let's see what happens next in Chapter 7. When they set out again, Ashlack bravely turned them northward instead of westward. Once I remember our grandfather telling us of a journey made in a spring of such floods that he had to cross all the streams much higher in the mountains, and he found a series of passes in mountains, which from afar seemed to have no passes at all, just great jagged heights. Beyond was a plateau with a small lake, and he spent most of the summer there before journeying south to the roundup. So we will go north until I see a mountain chain that looks impassable. Again he remembered Kusima's warning not to take the easy way. Merja was afraid and shook her head, but she did not argue now with her brother. On the trail there were hard decisions to make, and she saw that Ashlack suffered over them even more than they all suffered from the insistent biting of mosquitoes and the long hours of tiresome walking. On the rolling, trackless fields, Ashlack could relax and say, we will follow the deer. He could study the herd and sometimes carry a weak calf for away. But at the edge of the swift streams, he must tie a lasso around his waist and giving small journey the other end with which to pull him in like a wounded fish if necessary. He must test the currents and sudden deep drops until he was absolutely sure the children and burdened deer could cross safely. For a few days they followed a stream that wandered toward the northwest. One evening, Ashlack walked ahead, trying to decide where to turn away from its roaring bed. Pebbles and stones were rough beneath his feet, and as he stood there staring down, he saw a nugget of gold. He picked it up, and a plan suddenly filled his mind. He smashed the nugget in two and placed the pieces in his hat. The next days they turned west and soon were climbing up until peaks that had been a distant blue rose overhead. 
Usually, Ashlack loved the mountains, for in them he felt far above the world and quite free of it. Enchanted by space, he could forget the heavy weight of winter, crushing them under its darkened sky. But on this trek, he worried lest a rock ledge stop at the edge of nothing, or stones loosened by wind and weather fall and frighten the deer into a stampede. The winds were high and mournful, and the loneliness was unending. Yet each time Ashlack said, I cannot see where this day's journey will end, a pass opened out. But one day he looked ahead in dismay. There is a glacier, he told the others. A small one, but dangerous. Yes, we must cross it. And beyond, that is a snowfield full of crevasses. We must camp here and take only a few deer at a time. Untying the skis from one of the hakar, Ashlak began the treacherous task of guiding the deer and the children. Each time the passing of the deer made that trail unsafe, he sought a new track before bringing the next deer across. Back and forth he went, until at last they were all safe on the other far side. During this, he did not sleep for almost a two-day span. When it was finally over, he lay down on the first patch of safe ground and slept unmoving in the full blaze of the summer night. Finally, they climbed the back of the mountain chain and started down the other side. Below, Ashlack saw a moorland, protected on all sides by mountains. In the middle of the plateau was a lake. There, Ashlack exulted, we have finally found our camp. He looked at his weary brothers and sisters. Even small Journey was thin and tired, and the deer were more like shadows than beasts. You are all so brave. Braver than I had any right to ask you to be. But only one hazard remains, this last steep mountainside. The deer, free to make their own pace, could breast through the softening snow as though waves. They could not be allowed to rush on top of each other in panic, for the cabs could be trampled and smothered. The harkar, too, had to be held back, lest the weight of their packs push them too fast and they lose their footing and roll down the slopes. Going down with the sledges would have been even more dangerous, and ropes would have been tied on the runners for breaks. But Ashlack had left the sledges behind, for he had not realized his route would take them through so much snow. Yet it was the snowfields on the lower slopes which saved the deer from the torture of insects. Some laps nearer the sea always took their herds to islands, even though the deer had to swim across deep fjords to reach them. But Ashlack's people used the mountain snowfields instead, for the deer could climb away from the insects in a day's warmth. These were the snows that never melted, even on the warmest, longest summer days, the eternal snows. Ashlack, whose life was made up of ceaseless change, found the fact that the snow was always there very comforting. Harry and Deirdre, light, delighted in their private campground and in the tiny flowers and berries they found all around it, 
But Merja was sad. She looked forward each summer to seeing friends among the Laps who journeyed from other regions to the same great plateau, now miles away from her. Dirka too missed the visiting from tent to tent, the summer lessons with the schoolmaster, and the competition to see who could lasso calves the quickest. He hoped they would arrive in time for the great roundup, where all the herds were sorted out in an uproar of excitement. Dogs barking, deers grunting, dust rising, people yelling, lassos swishing, and girls cheering. But Small Journey was content. He would spend his summer hours sleeping and fishing and carving knife handles and spoons and needle cases from reindeer bone and horn. They ate salmon and trout from brooks and sour, sweet, seedy cloudberries from bogs and lay back in carpets of heather and mountain forget-me-nots. Dirka and Terry brought out the wooden tableau and played a game of catch the wolf with reindeer toe bones as the playing pieces. But Ashlack walked to the snowfields, put on his skis, and climbed to the high peak, where he sat staring out over the mountains, which seemed to ring the world. There was a crag as sharp as a buzzard's beak, and there a range as solid as a bear's back but where stood a mountain with the shape of an eagle's head? As he became more familiar with the mountains, he decided that there was three that might be the right shape, but they were all in different directions. He felt an urgency to start out at once, but he realized it might be a long search, and there were things to take care of first with the herd. Then one day, he saw a light flash up from a mountain nearby, again and again. He wondered if it was the sun striking the lens of a telescope, and if his uncle had discovered them. That night, Detri's puppy in the kata barked until he set the herd dogs barking. Is someone lurking around the camp? Derry asked. Merja sighed. I wish someone were. It's so lonely here by ourselves. I'm afraid Diramaga has found us and is watching everything we do, worried Ashlack. The next morning, a good lasso, left by the skis on the snowfield, had been taken. Ashlack was sure then that his uncle was near, for no one else would steal. At least if Piramaga is watching me, he has not found grandfather's burial place yet. Ashlack found comfort in that. But how can I leave the camp and begin my search without his seeing and following me? Are you going to ask to search soon? Asked Mirja, anxious that it should be done so they can start their journey southward. Just as soon as the new cabs are marked, promised Ashlack. For important as his mission was, the herd still must come first. So the next days he spent with Dirka and Small Journey up on the snowfields. With a swish of the lasso, Ashlack caught a calf by the hind legs. Small Journey tipped it gently to the ground, careful not to bruise its delicate new horns. Swiftly he cut the nicks of the great Journey Maga's mark into one ear. Ashlack saved a snippet from each, and when all the calves were marked, he threaded the snippets onto a string and counted them. 
Four hundred. For a moment his tiredness vanished, for reindeer were the true wealth of Lapland. Ashlack had done well to bring so many new calves safely to a summer pasture over such a long and hazardous route. In his joy he said, Merja, you shall have ten deer of your own to trade at the winter fair for any pretties you want, shawls and ribbon, ribbons and brooches. Lonely as she felt, Merja praised Ashlack then for his accomplishments. I shall sleep a while now, he told her, but when I wake, I will set off. I may return in a day or a week, but if I do not return in two weeks, then wait no longer. Pack up the camp and drive the herd south. It will be hard traveling, but you should reach the summer camp in time for the roundup. Then hire two herdmen to help your journey to the winter village. Once you are due there, do as you think best. Sell the herd and go to school if you like. But I do swear to you that Diramaga has no right to this herd. Then Marja became frightened, for she saw how much it meant to Ashlak to prove he owned the herd and could provide for his family. And she was frightened by what he meant, that he must go on a dangerous and lonely quest, and that he might not return. While they spoke, a sudden storm swept over them, clouds closing around the constant sun and throwing shadows violently over the mountains. The whole sky thickened and darkened while lightning burst about them. In the Katja, silver spears of rain thrust through the smoke hole, while Deertree clutched his puppy and Derhi clutched Petri. But Ashlak went about his plans gathering food for his trip. Dried reindeer milk so rich it was always diluted with water. Dried meat and smoked fish, cheese kept in leather pouches. He stored it all inside his tunic, where his belt kept it from falling out. In the points of his cap were coffee beans, rock sugar, and the nugget he had found on the riverbank and split into two. He sharpened his puko and threw a lasso over his shoulders. Dirka, I leave you the gun. You will need it on the homeward journey against the lynx and the wolverine. Stay in peace, replied Ashlack, and stepped out of the kachin. At that moment, a flash of lightning traced the tops of the mountains to the east and south. Among the peaks was one of the three he wanted to explore, because its shape could be that of an eagle's head. Again the lightning emphasized its form, and he suddenly was convinced that that was the place. Perhaps like his ancestors, he should trust a sign brought by a storm, as much as if it were a message brought by a drum. He called Mirja and Perka and pointed the mountain peak out to them. It is nearer than I thought. If I find the cave there, I should return in a week. Marja, you must do all the things I have told you. But as he looked at her in farewell, he saw how he could perhaps fool his uncle. Quick, lend me one of your dresses. Take my other tunic and wear it for two days. You can hide your long hair in my other cap. I will put on your dress and start away as if I were you 
going up to milk the deer. If Uncle Deera is hanging about, he will see two boys at work and not realize that I have gone away. Merja enjoyed a part to play and delighted in Ashlack's short tunic and breeches. Ashlack felt foolish with Mirja's skirts over his clothing and her red cap with its ear flaps nodding in the way. But he wore them until he had walked a day's journey and then bundled them also into his tunic. He stopped at last to rest and after a few hours sleep, the scream of an eagle woke him. He saw a small brown lemming trying to escape the searching bird. 